0: Lexington and Concord, Trenton, Saratoga, Yorktown, Ticonderoga, Charleston, Bunker Hill. These are names of some places that most Americans are aware of from a very young age. These and many more were a small group of underdog colonists fought and died to build the country that we know today. They stand out in the annals of history for their significant contribution to the formation of our country. But they overshadow some of the lesser known battlefields and accomplishments that played important parts in our country's earliest years. One such series of battles involved the attempt by the Continentals to blockade the Delaware River and deny supplies to the British in the recently captured city of Philadelphia along the banks of the river. Involving multiple fortifications naval engagement, land battles, sieges, and some of the most famous personalities on both sides of the war, it's a topic that is infrequently mentioned in textbooks. However, it played a vital role in the victory over the British and quite likely saved Washington and his army from complete defeat, and it happened right here in New Jersey. This is the story of Red Bank Battlefield. Hello everyone, my name is Sam Whalen and welcome to Backyard History, where we take a look at the Garden State's most interesting historical sites. From Hoboken to Haddonfield, we'll uncover New Jersey's time-tested secrets that are just outside your back door. To set the stage, at this time in 1777, Philadelphia was under the control of the British army. The colonists had also just had a major defeat at the Battle of Germantown in the fall. The Americans were low on morale, and were running out of options. So they came up with a plan to blockade the Delaware River from both sides. If the British couldn't get supplies inland, surely they would simply starve or be forced to retreat. The two forts in question were Fort Mifflin on the Philadelphia side, and Fort Mercer, right here in Deptford, New Jersey. That's where Red Bank comes into the question. To deal with this nuisance, the British sent Colonel Carl Von Donop and 2000 Hessian soldiers. Now, the Hessians were not to be trifled with. They were notorious guns for hire, known for their ruthless and brutality in battle. And now, they are marching directly for Fort Mercer and Red Bank, with killing on the mind. On the American side of things, two men were put in charge, Commodore John Hazelwood and Colonel Christopher Green. Between the two of them, they had a bunch of boats with guns on them, to put it simply. In addition to that, Fort Mercer had about 400 men and 14 cannons stationed within. Despite the odds, all reports of the time indicated that the Americans weren't intimidated or worried by the approaching Hessians. In fact, when Dunup sent a drummer boy to accept the fort's surrender, Colonel Greene told them, quote, We ask no quarter, nor will we give any. Clearly, they were going to do this. In response, Dunup had the hilarious response of, We'll change the name from Fort Redbank to Fort Dunup. Everybody was ready, and it was time for the battle to begin. Dunup was eager to get revenge on the American side since he had just lost up in Trenton a couple months before. He doubled down on his claim from earlier and told his men before the fight, Quote, either that will be Fort Dunup or I shall be dead. Spoiler alert, Dunup was right about one of those things, and the episode isn't called the story of Fort Dunup. <laughs> Dunup decided to split his men into two 1,200 strong groups, in order to make a two-pronged attack on the fort. In addition to his overwhelming numbers, Dunup also had five, that's right, five, men-of-war British battleships parked off the coast for artillery support. For context, the British man of war was one of the deadliest things to ever be built, especially at this time. These things were ridiculous, and just one would have normally been enough firepower to take out the 400 colonists inside Fort Mercer. Just a reminder, Dunup had five of them. He was sure he'd have the fort by nightfall. Things began to turn against the Hessians almost immediately. One group was cut down by cannon fire and muskets right away. The second group, that managed to get closer to the fort, Found the terrain to be a real issue. Large trees with pointed edges formed additional fortifications, and those men were killed by colonists too. In addition, the Americans of their navy were providing flanking fire before the men of war could react. The massive war boats were too busy being engaged by the rest of the American navy to do anything. Two of the British boats ended up running aground, too. Some of those cannons were eventually recovered from the boats and are on display today at Red Bank. One of these ships, the Augusta, was the largest ship lost by the British in the Revolutionary War and the War of 1812 combined. Any other ships were forced to abandon or flee, and just like that, the Hessian troops were forced to retreat as well. Where did they run to, you might be wondering? Well, 10 miles down the road to Haddonfield, New Jersey. That's right, there may have been a time when Hessian troops were running through our own neighborhoods. Bloody, battered, and certainly surprised. As for Dunlop, to his credit, he proved to be a man of his word. He ended up getting shot on one of his charges, right in the thigh. When his men retreated, they left him behind on the battlefield. He died three days later while being treated at a field hospital. All in all, the Hessians lost 377, while the Americans reported only 14 killed. While the British eventually responded with a much larger force and took both forts, at the time it was a huge win for American forces. It was a great example of the fighting philosophy of the American forces at the time. A small, ragtag group of colonists versus the much larger, more decorated British army. It's a story you've probably heard a hundred times in history class, but in this case, it was just a short drive from the campus of Rhone University. Now a quick story about that field hospital that Colonel up bled out in. That was the James and Ann Whittall House, another interesting feature of Red Bank Battlefield. The building gets its name from the husband and wife who lived and operated out of the house during the Revolutionary War. Ann Whittle in particular got her claim to fame as she continued to attend to the wounded even as the house took musket fire. She was born right over in Woodbury, New Jersey. Her brother lived in Millville and helped make glass bottles. At one point during the war, a cannonball crashed through Anne's window as she was working at her loom. A Quaker and a pacifist, she simply moved the loom to another room and kept on working. They started calling her the heroine of Red Bank after she treated both British and American forces. Many of Whittle's stories can still be read right from her diary, which she started keeping in 1760 and is still on display today. In the aftermath of the Battle of Red Bank Battlefield, the Americans are riding high. Sadly, like you probably heard me mention earlier, this was somewhat short-lived. It turns out when an army is bigger and better funded than you, they can simply just attack again. And that's exactly what the British did just a few months later. This time, with Lord Cornwallis leading the charge. Yes, that Lord Cornwallis. The British took both forts without much of a fight. General Washington, yes, that General Washington, decided that the loss of the dueling forts was too much. It was this defeat that caused him to move his troops for the winter to Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. And that wraps up the story of Red Bank Battlefield, the story of a small band of colonists that were able to beat back overwhelming odds, at least for a little while, the story of a man out for revenge whose own hubris ended up getting him killed, and the story of a pacifist caught in the middle of a battleground. All these stories, all this history, right in our backyard. Thanks for listening. Backyard History is produced, written, and edited by me, Sam Whalen. If you have any questions or would like to recommend topics for the show, that can be reached at Whalen22 at students.rowan.edu. One more time, that's Wayland 22 at students.rowan.edu. Tune in to the next episode of Backyard History where we'll discuss the Indian King Tavern. We'll discuss how the first state seal was developed and how a dive bar led to the creation of a nation. That's next time right here on Backyard History.